0: Episode 134 Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We arrive this week at one of the most well-known moments in the play. Ophelia has already re-entered and Laertes has had a good look at her, horrified at the messy state she's in. Now we get a very peculiar moment in which Ophelia hands out various herbs and flowers. It's a weird thing to do, Although it's not the only time in Shakespeare. In The Winter's Tale, another young woman, Perdita, is crowned with flowers and hands out flowers and garlands to all of the guests at a feast celebrating the spring. In that play, it is a joyful celebratory moment which couldn't be more different from Ophelia's mangled bunch of weeds. She says, There's rosemary. That's for remembrance. Pray, love, remember and those pansies. That's for thoughts. Rosemary for remembrance is one of the most famous phrases from the play. The herb was associated with memory because its scent is strong and lingers even after the plant is cut. Rosemary was used in garlands at both weddings and funerals. In Romeo and Juliet, Friar Lawrence tells Capulet to stick your rosemary on this fair corpse. Ophelia has been blurring the lines between love and death throughout this scene, and continues with this first herb. She also mentions pansies. The flower's name comes from the French, pensée, literally meaning thoughts. Remembrance and thoughts could be said to go hand in hand. Perhaps frustratingly, there are no stage directions to accompany Ophelia's handouts. We don't know for certain to whom she gives each one, Of course this allows room for interpretation and exploration. I think it's a reasonably safe bet that she gives the rosemary and the pansies to Laertes. She says, pray love, remember. This isn't a happy or even a grief-stricken reunion. Ophelia's madness manifests in how she doesn't acknowledge or recognise her brother at all, even though she mentioned him earlier in the scene, saying my brother will know of it. So there was a vague memory of her having a brother, But now that he stands in front of her, she doesn't recognize him. The idea that she's handing out plants that signify memory and thoughts is all the more ironic if she's giving them to her brother. All of the herbs that Ophelia gives away have associative meanings, as we will discuss, and Laertes picks up on it immediately. He comments A document in madness, thoughts and remembrance fitted. Ophelia is a clear example, a document, of madness. Her thoughts and her remembrances, what she's thinking about and what she's presenting as these little remembrances, do seem to match up. There's method in her madness. Ophelia continues, There's fennel for you, and columbines. There's rue for you, and here's some for me. We may call it Herb Grace on Sundays. Oh, you must wear your rue with a difference. There's a daisy. I would give you some violets but they withered all when my father died. They say he made a good end. Things start to get complicated as we begin to try to figure out who gets which of these plants. Fennel is associated with flattery and therefore many people think that she should clearly give this to the king. For all that, it's maybe worth going back to a piece by Robert Greene, writing at the same time as Shakespeare, whose quip for an upstart courtier includes this little segment. Upon a bank bordering by grew women's weeds, fennel for flatterers, fit generally for that sex, since while they are maidens they wish wantonly, while they are wives they will willfully, while they are widows they would willingly, and yet all their proud desires are but close dissemblings. That's an awful lot about women's weeds and women's fickleness, frailty thy name is fennel, as it were. So maybe Ophelia is giving this to Gertrude. The play has already had so much to say about the queen's sex life, and here again this feels like a little dig. There's fennel for you, and columbines. Now, columbines, also known as aquilegia, have an association with infidelity, not least since when they're in flower, their petals can stand up and look like horns. If Ophelia gives this flower to Claudius, it is a bit odd, but nothing much else. If she gives it to Gertrude, there's an implication that maybe she cuckolded her husband, giving him the proverbial horns that match this flower. I think it's far more dangerous and dramatically interesting if, within her madness, Ophelia manages to tear away a few of the veils of secrecy that everyone in this rotten court has been hiding behind. She continues to the next herb. There's rue for you, and here's some for me. Rue, the herb, is immediately associated with the word it echoes. To rue something is to regret it not just regret, mind you, but also to repent. Rue is a bitter herb, and it was even reputed to have a further property, in that it could help ease with any excesses of carnal lust. So, if she gives it to Gertrude, sure, it implies that the Queen is rather too sexual and should maybe be praying for forgiveness. But since she is a document in madness, what if she gives it to Claudius? Not only does it imply that he's too carnal, committing incest with his sister-in-law, but he is also an avowed murderer. Whether she actually knows this or not, it's very disturbing if she's suggesting that the king needs to go and repent for his sins. This sounds almost like too much truth coming from the mad young woman. There's some rue for him, but here's some for me, she also says. She needs some grace too, or repentance. We may call it herba grace on Sundays, she says. Sundays were reserved for God and for repentance. And rue was sometimes known as herb of grace. Perhaps wearing a sprig of rue might lead to return to God's grace. Ophelia also says, Oh, you must wear your rue with a difference. This is something of a heraldic term. A difference was a change in the way that something was presented on a coat of arms to represent a particular family or something like that. If she and Claudius are both going to wear this rue, they need to personalise it and differentiate their families. The difference could be that they will never now become related by marriage, or perhaps that Claudius is guilty and Ophelia is innocent. Or is she? There's one other long-established use of the herb rue, and that was to help to end an unwanted pregnancy. This is a very stark association to make, but it's there, and some productions have made much of it. All this from one herb. Next up, Ophelia says, There's a daisy unlike the others, daisies have a positive connotation. They represent a kind of innocent, hopeful love. Of course, there's nobody for her to give this flower to. The logic might suggest that she'd give it to Hamlet, if he were here. Maybe Horatio? He hasn't spoken for at least a hundred lines, so that feels rather unlikely. A wonderful production I once saw had Ophelia leaving the little flower on a seat that Hamlet had occupied at several moments during the play thus far, and it was a very clear indication of her feelings for him, and his absence. Ophelia could perhaps give Claudius the daisy, an incongruous flower in the hands of the play's main antagonist, and then all three characters around the young woman will have been given two flowers each. Ophelia then mentions violets, which we heard a very long while back. Before he left for Paris, Laertes insisted that Hamlet's love was fleeting, rather like the perfume of a violet. A violet in the youth of primy nature, forward, not permanent, sweet, not lasting, the perfume and suppliance of a minute, no more. Yet again, Ophelia manages to weld together the absence of Hamlet and her father's death. At some primal level, perhaps, she knows in her bones what has actually happened. I would give you some violets, but they withered all when my father died violets were themselves considered demure and gentle, an antidote to anger. There is no such gentleness now that Polonius has died, for Ophelia or indeed for Laertes. This common knowledge about the flower and the earlier mentions of it mean that violets are associated with Hamlet, Polonius and the old man's death. The thought of her father maybe sends her mind back to Laertes and maybe there's a glimmer of recognition here when she says they say he made a good end. We've seen Polonius' death on stage. It was anything but a good end. But the phrase, to make a good end, actually persists in conversational English here in Ireland. It doesn't just mean to die without being stabbed through a curtain. It's more to do with dying in a state of grace, having received the last rites from a priest. This is precisely what was denied to Hamlet's father, and he laments this back in Act One. He says, Thus was I sleeping by a brother's hand, of life, of crown, of queen at once dispatched, cut off even in the blossoms of my sin, unhouseled, disappointed, unannealed, no reckoning made but sent to my account, with all my imperfections on my head. The horror of dying like this is palpable. Ophelia takes some distracted comfort from whatever lies she's been told about how her father died. Given how unfortunate and unbecoming his death really was, It's all the sadder that she shows us just how little she knows. Comforted by the thought of this good end, she bursts into another scrap of song. For Bonnie's sweet Robin is all my joy. We don't really know what this song is, or even what the tune might be. It's another echoing memory that she plucks out of her head. Perhaps it's to do with Robin Hood, which would mean that the singer is Maid Marian who was indeed known to participate in spring festivals and probably handed out flowers. Maybe this is too easy, though, tying up the expanse and desperation of Ophelia's madness with far too neat a bow. Laertes comments on it again. Thought and affliction, passion, hell itself she turns to favour and to prettiness. Despite the onslaught of terrible things that have happened to her, These thoughts, afflictions, passions, hell itself going on in her head. Ophelia is turning everything into sweet little daisy chains and folk songs. Earlier in the scene, Claudius has twice called her pretty, a diminutive word for cute, inconsequential things. Ophelia's mind is coping with her grief by reducing her woes to prettiness. She sings again another broken little song. And will he not come again? And will he not come again? No, no, he is dead. Go to thy deathbed. He never will come again. His beard was as white as snow. All flaxen was his pole. He is gone. He is gone. And we cast away moan. God a mercy on his soul. Again, there's room in the song for it to be about Hamlet or about Polonius, primarily the latter. He is dead and gone and the singer need not hope to see him again. Go to thy deathbed. There is nothing more to live for since he is gone and never will come again. It's more specifically tieable to Polonius in the second verse, since she describes his beard as white as snow and his hair like flax, his flaxen pole, or head. White hair and a white beard, an old man rather than a young prince. And we cast away moan, she says, This could either mean that we waste our time moaning, casting our moans away, or indeed that we who have been cast away by this loss must moan in our grief. The song ends with a simple enough God of mercy on his soul. Yet again there's this feeling of Polonius having died without any kind of benediction. He was buried hugger-mugger, Claudius told us, and now his frantic daughter sings about his brief funeral and his shoddy burial from a bare-faced bier. Claudius and Gertrude are going to have to explain all of this, and the neglect that has led to Ophelia reaching this state of madness. She herself has reached the end of her scene. Having sung a little blessing to Polonius, God have mercy on his soul, she speaks and extends it, and all of Christian souls, I pray God. This time there's no grand call for a carriage or anything like it. She says, God be with you, to the assembled company, and she exits for the last time. This is such a brittle, troublesome scene, perhaps because we have no real equivalent for this kind of behaviour or situation. This handing out flowers is a tradition or a custom that we just don't have anymore. It continues to fascinate because it is so unusual and so inaccessible. The young woman's madness is impenetrable because we can never quite know what she means, even if we reach a point of explaining all the herbs and flowers that she's handing out. We still have nothing definitive – and the flowers themselves dry up in our hands. Some editions have the stage direction ex implying that maybe Ophelia doesn't leave alone. Maybe Gertrude goes with her, following her, or Horatio, if he's come back, or indeed any of the attendants who have witnessed this scene. For the rest of this scene, it's just Claudius and Laertes who speak, and considering what they're about to discuss, it's probably best that there are as few witnesses as possible. We'll save their conversation for the next episode. For now, thank you for listening and do be sure to check out the website thehamletpodcast.com for some images of the various herbs and flowers mentioned this week. While you're there, do be sure to check out the various extra features and you can maybe follow on Twitter or on Instagram too. I'll speak to you next time.